Welcome to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I am your host, Donnie Mabe. This is the monthly show focused on building conversations around the team-based model approach to athletic performance, strength and conditioning, sports medicine, sports science, mental health and wellness, and sports nutrition. Hello and welcome back to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I'm your host, Donnie Mabe, and man, we are so excited. 2023 is well upon us, and of course, I've got Coach Joe Krawczyk, our co-host, is in the house. Coach Joe, what's the deal today, baby? Coach, I'm doing great, and uh, I have to say congratulations on the 2022 Women's Volleyball National Championship. Uh, 18, I started interning with you with Women's Volleyball, and so there's still a couple girls on that team that you know I'm just so happy for them and happy for you and the rest of the team and the coaches. So congrats, Coach. Thank you, Coach. Uh, again, much love and respect to you. You have helped me with some hard stuff with that team to be successful. So it's a team effort. So I appreciate you. And um, anyway, thank you. What about New Year, Joe? What you got plans, goals, looking forward to? We had a good fall. What are you looking forward to, 2020? Anything come to mind, Coach? Um, right off the bat, I don't start school again until the 16th, so I'm going to hit a pile of books. <laughs> uh, I'm going to do my best, at least. My son David turned one, so that was Congrats. fun. So uh, I'm looking forward to his his second year here, see how that goes. Yeah, and then just spring, in-season for track and field, so should be a lot of fun. And then Cheer and Palm has a few competitions, too, so... Uh, it'll be fun to see them compete. So awesome! Uh, a lot of a lot of work in the fall, and then get to kind of see the kids do their thing in the spring. So it'll be fun. Good. Hopefully, this year is going to be great for for you and for us and for those who are listening. Uh, with that, let's introduce our guest. I'm so excited to introduce a friend of mine today. She happened to be in town, uh, just I guess randomly visiting some friends, and I said, "Coach, can we get you in the studio?" So, with without further ado, Erin Luther, welcome to the team behind the team. Thanks for having me, Coach. Happy to be here. Yeah, glad you made time and uh, it kind of lined up perfect. We're, we're slow right now, and so thank you for being uh, flexible on a short notice. How's things? Uh, she's at the University of Miami. How's things in Miami right now? Warm. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Not like Austin. It's no. kind of rainy and cold. Rainy and cold. Recording this, so. Yeah, it's good. I'm I'm happy to be there. I have a lot of responsibilities and lots of opportunities to grow. So it's been it's been a good three years so far. So mm-hmm. awesome. Well, thanks for being here. Just a quick some some uh, points on Coach Ariana Luther. As you just heard me say, she's at the University of Miami, and currently she is working with. Um, you have soccer, right? Uh, swim, women's swim, rowing, and Diving, diving, diving. Mm-hmm. got it. So she's been there since 2020, October, works with those teams. Before that, she was at Reno, Nevada for one year, and that was kind of in that six months before COVID, six months during COVID. So that was a short stint there, did an awesome job. Before that, she was at TCU and uh, was a grad assistant there, correct? Mm-hmm, yep. And I got her her uh, master's there in kinesiology. So, and before that... She was. She's done a different different stops and stays at Central Florida, Montana State University, Exos, and then she graduated from Lindenwood, where you were actually uh, you were a gymnast there, right? Yeah, I was a walk on. Walk on. Mm-hmm. Does it matter, Coach? <laughs> they, you guys, uh, sometimes the they work right? harder than the other yeah. the, 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 the ones getting some money, Coach. So yeah, kudos <laughs> to you. Um, so that's a little bit about Ariana again. Just a 
I think over the years, I can't remember where, I think we met at a conference, but just have become uh, close friends and colleagues over the years and just super excited you're in town and love to have you on the show. Uh, with that, I'll ask, uh, I got the first question here, I'll kick it off. Um, let's talk a little bit about athlete buy-in. And you've been at some some pretty cool spots, been under some great coaches. Uh, I know you've worked with some difficult teams. I know that. Talk a little bit about athlete buying. Like, what is your approach, and how do you get that from your athletes? Yeah, I think athlete buy-in is a a phrase that we often throw around a lot as coaches, and wanted to do a deeper dive to the further I got into my career. Like, what does that really? actually mean and I know we talk about relationships and how important all of that is with buy-in I think it all boils down to getting to know each athlete and where they come from how they grew up that kind of thing when you can do a deeper dive into those things about a person you can assess a little bit more how they behave as an adult and be able to see that in the weight room like there's kids that don't necessarily want to be in the weight room. They just want to play their sport. And it's like, okay, how can I get this athlete to do what I want them to do? Also have fun, see the weight room as maybe a place of release or whatever the case may be um, and get them on board. And then you have athletes that the easy ones, you know, that just do what you ask them to do. They'd run through a wall for you um, and you don't have to necessarily work as hard. But sometimes it boils down to going back to some of their roots. And that starts with asking them questions, about where they where they're from, do they have weight room experience or whatever the case may be. So sometimes we just have to do a little bit of a deeper dive with each individual, but you have to be willing to do the work to get there. So <laughs> which athletes do you lean on the most to help get that buy-in from the team? Yeah, I think uh Donnie, I know we talked about player-led teams and that kind of thing. I mean, if there's captains, um appointed captains on the team, I like to get their feedback, too, on on what they're seeing because I'm not always at every single practice having that many athletes. Um, We pop into practice in and out here and there, just um, being able to further those relationships. We don't see everything, you know, as the strength coach and as as the support staff. So I think asking captains and, and coaches, too, on what they're seeing, maybe some gaps that you're not seeing helps with that, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you ever kind of like forecast, like say you look at your team and you're like, okay, like this sophomore, like she's definitely a future captain. Like she's going to be, like she's maybe not the most talented player, but she's a leader for sure. Do you ever try and like kind of, you know, get on her side as well and think like, try to think like down the road, like, okay, like next season I'm going to need her to, to be on my side? Yeah, definitely. I think you can see those qualities early on when I think as freshmen there's some – a lot of them can be timid. You know, they, they may not want to call out a senior right. on, hey, coach asked us to do this. You're not doing that. Let's rise above, you know. So I don't always see that. But there are, you know, when they start building their confidence, maybe year two, year three, a lot of them, you can see those qualities shine through of I'm not afraid to if I see something that's not to the standard that coaches asked us, whether it's the sport coach or myself, I'm going to call it out. And that's not always a comfortable conversation, but I try and remind the team, too, that it's all in love. You know, like Mm -hmm. these standards are here for a reason so that we can all be our best. And I only have one set of eyeballs. I tell them that all the time. I wish I could 
cl- I mean, I don't know if I want to clone myself where I can see everything that's going on <laughs> yeah. all around, but that's why you have the players too to help you out and and see the things that you don't or and then they even report back to me certain things um, that may need to be fixed or something I didn't catch. So for sure, mm-hmm. yeah, I think you know to, to both y'all's point, I think the weight room, our roles as performance coaches are pretty unique in that you know. There's a quote, right? It says, uh, well, so the, a quote, but there's a question too. Are leaders born or are they made? You know, it's like the chicken or egg kind of conversation. And I wholeheartedly believe, I think there are certain kids or athletes that are, they have more of a gift for leadership, but I believe every athlete can learn leadership. And I always feel like the, the weight room is like a leadership laboratory. Like there's some things you can structure and do differently with every team and every coach and every season to kind of develop those qualities from whether it's having some meetings with some of your potential captains or having them lead warm-ups or having them. I mean, we've done little things as like having uh, music captains, stuff like that. Just giving kids responsibility and show faithfulness with little things just helps them grow to be a leader for bigger things. And so we've got so much opportunity to do that with our team. So I think getting athlete buy-in is to your point, Ariana, is like, who are those kids that are captains that you see some qualities and then start to invest and, and believe and give them confidence to take that next step? So it's huge. It's big time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I've always found it valuable too is like get them to help you develop the younger kids too. You know, like like the next the next person up, like what if what if one of them gets injured? Like they can still lead being injured, but it, it certainly helps if they're on the field or, or on the court or whatever, you know. So who's – Who's the next girl? Who's the next guy up? You know, and and help you know encourage them to become you know developers as well. I've always found value in that in the past. Yeah, giving them space to to do that and to be that that autonomy piece is huge because I think it's a lot of confidence building comes with that. You know, if they lead a warm up or if they lead the team through the workout that day or whatever the case may be. It's like, oh, me? You're, you're, you're choosing me to do that? Um, I didn't think I was able, you know, but it's like, no, I see something in you and all of you where you have that ability. It just, it's like a skill. It just needs to be refined over time. One sidebar kind of thought, and this, I had this coach when you first started talking um, about, we're talking about athlete buy-in, right? And there's this kind of, and I see, I'm seeing this theme kind of develop, and we're going to talk about mental health in a little bit, but this line down the sand of like this old school coaching of screaming, cursing, yelling at people, being really militant versus kind of like working with these kids, being a little bit more genuine, maybe not so domineering and like kind of like militaristic over these kids. Like, what do you, what do you guys, what are you seeing like thoughts on some of that? Like, I mean, are we being too soft on our kids today? I mean, that's what you hear a lot of old school coaches. Like we're just being too soft or is there really a need for us to kind of be a little bit more um, just relevant, right? To connect and relate. We'd love to hear your. I know it's a little different conversation, but it'd be good to hear some thoughts on that. Well, coach, I was I was just. That's funny you said that because I was just about to ask her. Like, have you have you had your kids lead some of the workouts or warm ups or anything like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've done warm ups where I will randomly choose, or sometimes it's strategic if I see something in someone that needs to be pulled out a little bit because they're totally able they just need someone to 
have give them the space to do that. So I've done that before, and it's it's awesome because you can see the confidence being built, and then all the other athletes uh, listening to that that appointed person and and doing what they ask, and it's just it's cool to see that because. I'll tell them, you don't know who's next. You know, if I choose somebody else, you guys got to be ready, be on your toes for that uh, and be ready because it, it'll be up to you next time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's awesome because now to to coach's question, it's like, well, what's, what's harder, being a robot and listening to the person yelling at you or getting in front of your peers and trying to lead them? It could be a very intimidating thing to, to lead your peers. And, mm-hmm. you know, anyone can be a robot. Anyone can do what right. you want them to do and just, just follow instructions. That's easy. Um, I think, I think it's, I don't, I don't know if that we're necessarily being soft. I think we're challenging them and it's, it's very, very intimidating at first to get in front of other people and, and have them do what you want them to do because, because why, why not them? Why are you in front of them and not, not your teammate, you know, uh, especially at like a collegiate level where there's, you know, the difference isn't drastic. Maybe one or two kids are far above the rest, you know, maybe talent wise or something like that. But, um, doesn't necessarily mean they're a good leader either you know so i don't know I've, i i think uh i think challenging these these kids to lead and things like that is is pretty tough in its own right yeah i remember molly benetti we had her on here last year i think it was joe and she kind of we were she kind of talked about some of this of you know being more collaborative with your athletes and not just always being dictatorial right just like i'm going to lead this and this is you know so again going back to athlete buy-in if your kids have a little bit more input into what you're doing, I'm not saying you give them the reins, but you're going to get more buy-in because mm-hmm. you're listening to them, you're taking feedback from them as a coach, and you're not doesn't mean you're doing everything they want every whim, but again, you're showing them that they they matter to you and that you're trying to trying to make this team better. So I think there's got to be some pieces to that with buy-in. Yeah, so. we've. I was going to say that too. We definitely started implementing that. I'd say the last couple years, I tell them athlete feedback is very important to me. I want to hear what, because we, you know, we see the weight room is general in nature, you know, and then we have our transfer to sport. Um, and I, I tell them too that the basic stuff works, you know, in layman's terms. And let's master all the basics and do really well in those arenas. And you're going to see the transfer happen naturally. Um, just come in, show up, work hard. And and all the results will come along the way. And be patient in that journey. But getting their feedback is important to me too. So I ask them if there's certain exercises that you guys like. I sit, I've done individual meetings with diving. Um, I need to do it with my other teams as well. I started there to um, because there's only we got six of them um that's that number has fluctuated the last couple years but so it's a smaller group and so I sat down with them individually to see what what they want to do what they like what they don't like Mm -hmm. what they've seen oh when I do this I feel good you know because how do I um I think a good question to ask is like when do you feel your best and what were we doing when you felt your best? And then going back there every single time um, has has helped us a lot. And um, so I got their feedback and what do you want to see more of and started implementing some of these things. Yeah. Obviously nothing that's going to harm them or um, if there's something that they wanted to do that I don't see necessarily as beneficial, I'll explain why. But um, definitely start implementing some of the things that they want to see. And then they get to the weight room. They're super excited. They're like, oh, my gosh, she listened to me. You know, she started putting in some of those things, those exercises or whatever it is that we talked about. Um, and I, I think that goes a long way. 
See, because what I hear, I like that because what I hear you saying is like you're not changing the expectation; you're just changing the principles and the tools that we're getting to that level. And I think, I think that's spot on. I remember listening to a good friend of mine, Jesse Ackerman, when he was with the Falcons, and he was working with this high-level receiver guy. And he's just certain exercise he refused to do. Now, obviously, this is an NFL team; it's not college, but the athlete was still one of the best players. You're not going to not play this athlete because he's not working in the weight room. So you got to be creative on what you put together. And he ended up finding some solutions that the this guy loved to do, and he bought in. Same thing to, to that same point. And I had one of my uh, star tennis guys in 1819, uh, Yu Ito from Japan. He had some injuries. Uh, I think his sophomore year, they're pretty significant. Went back home to Japan. His team over there evaluated him. Basically, they told him in a nutshell, don't lift in the weight room at all. That's why you're getting hurt. Whether that's true or not, I don't think it was. But guess what he didn't want to do? He didn't want to come work with me. So guess what? I had to figure out how do I get buy-in from him in a creative way that he looks forward to coming in here and working with me. And I did it. I mean, by the time his senior year, he ended up putting on three pounds of lean mass, and we won it. And he had one of the healthiest year ever. Now, he had a separate program. I did different stuff with him. But, again, sometimes when you get pushed back from your athletes to get buy-in, it makes you a better coach. So I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like uh, Coach Caulfield said uh, a few podcasts ago. He would he would just put lower body on the sheet, you know, and they got to pick, you know, squat, um, single leg squat, and you know, any any squat variation, I guess you could say, any lower lower variation. And at first, the kids kind of froze, you know, they were like, uh, <laughs> "Lower body? What do you mean?" He goes, "I don't know. Pick one. What do you like best?" And they're like, "Oh my gosh, you know." But like, I don't know. Sometimes it's like, who cares? You know, who cares what it is? I mean, as long as we're getting stronger. Yeah, and, and they're working. They're putting their work. Yeah. And they're investing they're, in their team. Right. You know, and give them a little autonomy. But it's, it's kind of funny at first how they're like, uh, I get to choose. <laughs> I yeah. get a choice in this. So, yeah. That's funny you say a phenomenal book. I highly recommend it. If nobody's listening to this, if you've never read it, it's called Generation Z Unfiltered by Tim, Dr. Tim Elmore out of Atlanta. But in that book, he talked about what you just said, Coach. And he talked about prescriptive and descriptive leadership styles with these this generation of young people. So prescriptive, right, is like how parents, like I'm a parent, you're a parent. Coach Luther, one day hopefully you'll be a parent, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but parenting styles today is, and I've done it, I've been guilty of this, and I see it in our kids. You do this first, and you remind them, now you got to go, go sign up for your class, go get your books. Go meet with your professor. And you're like constantly prescript, giving them this list of things. You're telling them what to do versus like, hey, today, be more descriptive. You need to go get set up for the semester for your, for your classes. And now they've got to kind of figure out and do some problem solving and really reflect on how do I make this happen? And, and that's how you grow. And what's happen, what happens is kids today are having less uh, times and opportunities where they just don't know what to do because everybody's yeah. telling them what to do. Right. So how do you help them grow up? you got to give them space to let them figure some of that out where it's not always going to be pretty. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be clear, right? But you're going to help them. You're going to do them a favor by doing that, kind of what you're saying, Coach. So I like I like the thought Problem of some, solving. Yeah. <laughs> but again, just telling them what to do all the time. Yeah, that's good for you. It makes it easier for you, but it doesn't help them grow. So. Right. That's good. Well, I think uh, – you know, we, we've, we've hit on athlete buy-in. Let's kind of flip the script a little bit. How do you buy coaches buy-in? 
Or how That's do you, a tough one. Yeah, how do you get yeah. coaches buying, I should say. This is one of my favorite. Mm-hmm. This is a hard yeah. one. It's one of my favorite ones, though. Yeah. I think um, what I've learned, too, with, with coaches, head coaches, assistant coaches, is they want they want you as you know within cuz some people work with a lot of different athletes a lot of different teams not not all this is super feasible but to be as present as possible uh, how do you build relationship if you're not there you know so showing up to practice stopping in the office um goes a long way especially i think we got away from a lot of that with covid and everything was easier with texting and zoom and oh we don't have to you don't have, we don't have to have an in-person meeting. You can just send me a zoom link or whatever. And I think some of that became uh, more normal. And then just getting back to the in-person face-to-face conversation and really building that genuine connection with the coach uh, goes a long way. And then being a good question asker. I don't think we ask enough questions and I'm guilty of this of, Oh my gosh, what should I, what should I ask? What's a good question? Um, you know, I know some people say there's no no such thing as a bad question or I don't know what y'all's thoughts are on that. But um, but asking things that are intentional, that make the coach think maybe a little bit, because um, some coaches, you know, they they don't even understand what you're doing and they kind of let you do your own thing or some coaches they want to know every single detail. So every coach is different and you got to know who you're working with and start asking, start asking the questions. If you're new to the job, ask um talk to the person who was previously in that role and and get a feel for what's what you're walking into. I think all of that's important to make your assessments and then go from there. How how uh how free are you to just either come with them, come to them with ideas or are you allowed to just kind of run with it with, with your programming? Yeah, I think it's different from team to team. There are teams where um you know, coaches come to every single weight session. They they want to be involved. And I love that, you know, because they get to see what we do. And then I go out to practice and I see what they do. And we there's more of that collaborative piece. And there's some coaches that don't come and we just talk over the phone or I go to practice and I let them know, hey, this is what happened at weights or what have you. Um, but sorry, what was your question again? I got lost there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, do, do they prefer certain things in the weight room? And, you know, mm-hmm. if so, do you, do you feel like, uh, it's pretty easy to come to them with a new idea and get like that, yeah. that buy-in from them? Like, Hey, I want to do this this week. You know, were yeah. they, are they more likely to say yes? Or are they kind of like a little hesitant? I think m- most of my coaches have been great, you know, mm-hmm. with being able to implement, implement whatever it is that I'm looking to accomplish. And, I ask them too, you know, if there's anything that that you see or that you've done before, something that there's sometimes there's exercises or things that they get really excited about. Mm -hmm. And if it's something where I'm like, this is, there's nothing wrong with this. Like, let's put it in there. Like, let's do that. Or maybe that's just a phase. I I didn't have it in there that phase. And they're like, actually, I really would love to do some chin-ups or whatever. Um, You know, swimming loves chin-ups. So like, okay, (laughs) let's, you know, um, they, the girls love it. They love being challenged in that way. Um, They're awesome at them. So why not throw it in there? You know, the coach gets excited about it. We do little competitions, things like that. So um, I think that goes a long way. And then the more you can collaborate, the deeper the relationship goes. And then then the buy-in just happens naturally. For sure. Yeah, I think um, the, this is a great topic. You know, you start talking about, I would say it like this, I think oftentimes head coach buy-in, sport coach buy-in is precedes athlete buy-in. Now, I think you can get head coach buy-in through the, if you can win the athletes over over time, but I think that sometimes you got to make sure that you're taking care of that. 
you were talking about stopping by the office and going to practice. I think I think you're spot on, Coach. I read something recently. And I kind of I kind of nerd out a little bit on the the science behind leadership, but like they've done study and research on texting, FaceTime, and like in person. And the neurotransmitters in, in your body, in your brain, that lights up and is released, like the oxytocin levels, go through the roof when I sit down with you in person. Mm-hmm. And so there's a bonding there chemically that if we just sit down and have a conversation versus uh, texting or Zoom. or So I've definitely, um, coming out of this pandemic, done, I almost feel like we've had to go back and, and we still use Zoom occasionally, but I still think and believe meeting in person is, is way more important. Even with your athletes, I had something happen this year with one of my freshmen and she was trying to text me and get information. I said, hey, let's just let's just sit down and meet in person and let's get, uh, number one, let's get clear context because I don't think you can get good context over text. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was, again, we ended up sitting down and talking and it went way better than if we just would have been texting. So it was a good situation. Um, yeah. But I think to your point, uh, head coach buy-in, I like what you said about asking questions. I think that what I've learned, it with myself included, is that we don't do very, a very good job of listening, yeah. right, to what. I have literally sent, sit down and seen coaches, staff, sit down and listen to a head coach, tell them what they want, and they didn't hear a word they said because they have their agenda. And I really feel like you've almost got to, we used to have this saying, I was in martial arts years ago, and it's a simple saying, but you've got to empty your cup. When you come to that head coach, every all the knowledge, all the, you know, your system, how you do things, to your point, Joe, you've got to empty that cup, come to that coach, and, and ask the right, ask really good questions, really listen, and then I think that the sweet sauce is when you follow up behind that and show them how you're implementing what information you got from them. Then you slowly begin to build that trust because trust is like, it's, it's, it's like a building a wall, right? You build trust one brick at a time. But, dude, when you break trust, the whole wall comes down. And I've been in both. I've done. I've built the wall, and I've torn it down. And, man, rebuilding a wall once you've broken trust with a, with a head coach or a sport coach is no easy task. And sometimes it's irreparable. And, it, and I mean, I've been part of that, unfortunately. And uh, it's not fun, but really good lessons learned for me, so personally. Mm-hmm. Good stuff, Coach. Yeah, it's good. Have you ever had any issues in the past with a head coach, um, whether it was just uh, they were like a little micromanaging or anything like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's happened before where um, the having those good questions to ask comes into play here yeah. because, you know, you show up, you you think you're doing a good job, you're trying your best, you know, you're writing these programs, trying to get these kids right, and um, sometimes it all just kind of gets thrown away sometimes you know that's happened years ago and it's like man you kind of feel defeated it's it's easy to feel defeated in those moments of and then you start questioning yourself am I not competent enough you know what am what am I doing wrong that's not something's not working here because I feel like I'm not being heard and I think humans in general they want to be seen and they want to be heard and I think those conversations with the coaches is, is important in those moments of okay um you know, obviously there's something here that's that's not working. What are you looking for? What are you what value do you feel like I bring to the table? And how can how can we work this out in a way where we collaborate on something or what does that look like for you? What does our relationship look like? And I think um, 
I've asked those questions before and it's helped, you know, of how they do see me, um, you know, hopefully obviously speaking in truth there and then building that trust with them so that you can start implementing things. And it may not be your program to to start out with. They're like, actually, we want to do this, this and this. And for, for a while, sometimes it's okay, that's what we're doing, you know, and then over time, because trust takes time, you start to build that brick by brick, you know, that might be a brick a day, it might take a yeah. little while. So being patient in the process, and and then you can start, hey, I was thinking about this, what do you think, coach, and they start, yeah, actually, I, I like that, you know, so right. some people are a little bit harder to work with. I mean, we all, we all have it in, in our settings, but um, being patient is key. <laughs> yeah, I think too, Ariana, I think sometimes coaches test you mm-hmm. to see what you're, you know, how are you going to, if I, if I really get on this coach and give her some strong feedback, like how is she going to respond? Is she going to be defensive? Are you going to, you know, be vindictive? Are you going to shut down? Are you going to be, you know, are you going to be open to this feedback and, 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 because really, coach, at the end of the day, a coach wants what they want loyalty from you. Like their livelihood, you're, they're saying, hey, I remember Simon Sinek said this about like whenever you bring people on your staff, if this is somebody like you're working with and you wouldn't invite them to be in your family, why are you hiring them onto your mm-hmm. team and staff? Because you're going to spend more time with them than you are your family and coaching for sure, right? <laughs> yeah. So when you start looking through the lens of like livelihood in their career, I get why coaches are very protective and very cautious about who they bring onto their staff and team, especially with strength and conditioning. Because as you guys know, there's there's a lot of crazies out there in our profession that just do stuff that's not good for athletes. And so uh, if if they can trust us with the care of their athletes and help them perform better, then again, I think to your point, Ariana, I think it takes time to win that trust. And I don't think it's fair to put a timeline on it yeah i think you just you got to be everybody warms up differently mm-hmm. and there's different things that kind of seals to deal with them but uh a funny quick story i remember as a young coach i was at colorado and i had to work with women's basketball and i think you've heard me tell this story but sealberry is a legendary hall of fame coach there uh women's basketball and she like was n- nobody approached her and talked to her like she ran the show dude and she did a lot of the offseason because she didn't like the strength staff. And Coach Luther, I'm telling you, like, my boss told me, like, hey, you're going to be with women's basketball because I was the new guy in town. I didn't really know what I was doing. He's like, you're going to be with them wherever they go. And I'm like, yes, sir. <laughs> and uh, come to find out they were working out at 6 a.m. on the track in the middle of nowhere in Boulder, Colorado. I was like, why do I have to go do this? I'm not going to be coaching them. So literally for six weeks – I'd get up and get in the dark, get up at five in the morning, go out there and just cheer these girls on on the track. I eventually ended up just running with them because I was bored. <laughs> Six week Coach Barry the whole time would not even speak to me really. And she literally walks up to me because she saw me building rapport with the, co- the athletes were buying in to me as a person. She walks up to me and she goes, Start next week, you got him. I want to see what you can do with him. Coach, I about passed out. I'm like, what? I'm, I was like, Bugs Bunny, but blah, blah, blah. Like, what am I going to do with him? And she let me have him, like, full autonomy for the next, the rest of that semester. It was a test. At the end of the semester, she comes up. She goes, I want to hire you full time for women's basketball because I want you only for us. And it, of course, I ended up coming to Texas, but I mean, that was just a huge lesson. And like, sometimes, just being available and being there for them and show them you care about the team, that's how you win people. 
win those co- those hard to win coaches over. So awesome point, mm-hmm. coach. Yeah. Have you ever had a situation just kind of while we're still on the topic, um, where a coach made a decision you kind of felt you needed to like, you know, I guess be heard in that situation and say, hey, coach, I don't know if this is such a good idea. Um, whether it was, I don't know, it could be anything. Um, where where you, you kind of just had to confront the coach and say, hey, you know, coach, I, I just, I don't know about this. Yeah. Yeah, that's happened before, definitely. I mean, that'll come up in your career at some point. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's not always fun to work, to work through, but um when the ultimate goal is the athlete's health and safety, you know, dependent on the scenario, of course, of of, of your statement there, um, you got to look out for them. And there's some things where it's like, man, I, I don't know about 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 that, you know. And asking the question like, hey, you know, with what we're doing, what are your thoughts on that? Asking the coach and um, having to step in, like, hey, have you thought about? I, I think opening people's minds because some some coaches, including myself, this has happened where we we just kind of shut off. You know, it's you're not open minded, you're not willing and ready to receive um, a question or a comment about your programming or whatever. And I think um, just asking the question of Have you thought about fill in the blank? Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's a different, you're coming up with different options. Give them options. I think is right. what about. I see that you're trying to accomplish this. Have you thought about this, this, or this? And and I think that's coming up with a solution, right, is yep. providing alternatives. That's something that you think is most likely best for the athlete or probably better than the original. And um, normally that just starts opening the mind. And they may shut it down at first, but I think conti- being consistent in that when those scenarios pop up is key because it's like I remember the first time that happened and – the coach may think like, I remember the first time that this happened, she asked me to kind of open up my mind a little bit. And now mm-hmm. it's, it's happening again. Like maybe I should take a second look. And I think um, that that's powerful when we do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think those, those conversations are really important. I remember I was 23 years old had my first platoon and my company commander swapped out three squad leaders. We had three platoons, three rifle platoons. And they were kind of like, they all kind of came up together. So there was like, they're a little too tight with the Marines. So he needed to create some professionalism and swap guys around. But they were like all of our, each of our top squad leaders got swapped. So me and my two buddies were like, what is he doing? Like, why is he doing this? And each and every one of us gave our, gave our best uh, college try at convincing him otherwise. And he schooled all of us. Um, He's just a really smart guy, Captain Fry. And I learned a lesson, like, like you said, you, you, you should have a good solution and you, you better do your homework too if you're going to confront like someone in that position who's got that kind of experience and that kind of knowledge of of the game or you know or anything because um, you, you have to be able to see every angle and, and and understand if you're going to have an argument to try to persuade them otherwise. Um, but that was a lesson I learned way back in the day. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But uh, it, it takes courage though. It takes courage to confront them because you're like, oh man, you know, hope this doesn't like you talk about relationships with the coach too. You're like, I hope this doesn't hurt the relationship or anything. Hope things don't get heated or right. anything like that. You really kind of have to to game plan your approach and, and have those solutions. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, to, to both, I love that. I think we are living in a day and time when our profession where there's too much knowledge out there now. And I, I think I, this one rule I do really respect and love today is that our athletic trainers have the unchallengeable 
authority to step in and stop a workout, whether it's a practice or workout, if they see, you know, risk and danger of taking somebody's life or getting hurt, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, to that topic, Joe and Coach, what I've learned too is it's kind of like this podcast, right? You're the team behind the team. It helps to have those good rapport and trust with the people around that athlete that you're collaborating behind the scenes of like, hey, what's the risk here? Do you see, like I know mm-hmm. for me personally, it gets hot in Austin in the summer and I'll do some conditioning outdoors. Many, many years ago, I would condition our athletes out there with nobody around. This was not very wise. You know, 100 plus degrees out in sand was <laughs> not wise. Today, it's just too risky. And so there's got to be more conversation of the risk versus reward with your AT, with your nutritionist, behind the scenes before you just show up and do this novel workout, right? And so you want to know, like, who's got sickle cell? Who's prone? Who's out of shape right now? Who hasn't done anything for the last four weeks? This is probably not the time to do a thousand rep bodyweight workout and get rhabdo, right? Right. So I think just using some common sense and having some conversations on the front end before you, and just being more planned and not so spontaneous, I think will save you a lot of heartache. But also, I think professionally, it shows that you know what you're doing. But also, number two, most importantly, I think, you care about the, the kid. You don't want to har- You want to do no harm. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a big piece of it. And I'm okay with doing hard workouts, but I think you need to get them in shape for that, not just drop it on them. So. Right. And I think sometimes, I think it was last year I read a couple high school basketball coaches or they went to jail over. They ran some kids out in the heat. I mean, you get, you're seeing sport coaches running conditioning athletes that they did back in the 60s and 70s today. They don't know what they're doing. They're watching stuff on the internet. They're thinking their team's not tough. They're going to make them tough in this one summer or whatever. And then you end up putting a kid in, in harm's way. And today it's just not worth it. It's not. You're not going to make a kid tough uh, going through certain workouts. I mean, toughness is something you can learn over time, but it's not something you just wave a wand and kind of get out of them. Now, there's some things you can do also that doesn't have to be so risky to figure out if, if a kid's mentally tough. Usually you can tell if you get them in a game if a kid's tough mentally in crunch situations. It comes out. Yeah. And so, anyway, that's I know that's kind of a little bit of a rant, but um, I love that question, Joe, and I love your response. Mm-hmm. You've got to have courage as a leader. You've got to speak up. And sometimes you got to build kind of a team, kind of a approach that coach with a team approach of here's the concerns we have here's why we shouldn't do it and make them aware of that so because they're responsible for it mm-hmm. so yeah definitely all right cool uh let's change gears a little bit conversation so i love this next one uh ariana uh, let's talk a little bit about your a personal thing to you that's very personal your faith i know that about you and admire that talk about just for a moment why that's so important to you, your faith and then practically, how do you walk that out in a workplace where everybody doesn't feel the same or believe the same? And you have different religions and different upbringings and ra- you know, people are raised to think differently. Like, how do you do that in a way that doesn't feel come off pushy or turn people off? So yeah. two questions there. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, faith changed my life. I didn't always believe in, in anything growing up. I kind of was just apathetic towards, towards it all and just kind of lived life and did my sport and went to school and that that's it, you know, but in college, all of that changed for me. And I've been tangibly, you know, been able to look back and see just all the ways that 
God has showed up in my life and what things that I've prayed about that I've seen come to fruition time and time again. And I'm like, there's no denying any of that, you know? And so obviously it's something that alters your life in such a way you're like, man, I just want other people to know, you know, that they're loved. And because I didn't always feel that way until I met people that did that for me. And so I think being an extension of, of what those people in my life in college did for me, like I have an opportunity to do that at work. You know, our mission field isn't, you don't always have to just go international in the middle of nowhere and, and um, all that's good, good work and amazing. But also here in our jobs in America, you know, you look to your right, to your left, there's going to be a need. There's going to be somebody who needs to be loved on um, that may have never felt that way or by their families or whatever, you know, and there's, it's about the the human soul. We have athletes, we have coaches, we have so many people around us at work um, that I think a lot of people aren't just going to speak up and say, I, no one's ever told me that they love me or, you know, whatever. But I think there's a lot of people um, on the inside are, are wanting that. And um, we just need to step forward and initiate more, more of that. And so I think uh, making people feel, I mentioned this before, but being seen and being heard is so big. And because I didn't always feel that way growing up and that changed for me um, when I experienced God's love for me. So I just want to be an extension of that to other people as well. And you notice a difference. And I am, I will say this first and foremost, I'm not always perfect at it. I think, um, I mean, even moving to Miami in general has been really hard. I've gotten the question, like, how do you live your faith out in a city like that? You know, um, it's tough. You know, it's really hard. There's a lot around you, but I think you have to stay focused on on what your main goal is. Keep the main thing the main thing and and do what you need to do and eliminate certain things in your life that, that no longer serve you or are not beneficial to your walk. And so um, it's... Tough to navigate, but um, definitely working on it. It's a work in progress and trying to be a little bit better about that at work, too, because I haven't always been perfect in that arena. We're never going to be perfect, but um, right, right. but yeah. <laughs> I love it. I think, you know, what I hear you saying, and it's what I love about that answer is like, it's a calling, right? And I, mm. I, I believe that, too. I think there's a... I think there's a big difference between career and calling, right? Career is what you get paid to do. But like your calling is what you're made to do. And that's just my own personal conviction. And I know we share that. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe I'm called to encourage and mentor and, you know, be support uh, for young athletes. Yeah. And, you, you know, Joe, you know this. Uh, you've worked with athletes and been in the military. Some of the darkest days and times young people go through is during that season. They're just trying to figure out who they are. Mm-hmm. And I know my role is to come alongside them, and I'm I'm their coach, but I'm their mentor, and I'm there to give them life advice. I'm there to speak encouragement and confidence into them, and help them get through that tough time. And I know that's my role as a coach. Sometimes it's a kick in the pants, but sometimes it's an arm around the shoulder, you know. And sometimes it's a, it's picking somebody off the ground. So again, every kid needs different things at different seasons. And I think, uh, Ariana, to your point, I think that is so much needed. These kids mm-hmm. today with the mental health crisis, we need more coaches like you that are encouraging, they're loving unconditionally, and they're there to they're there for the kids. You're not there for yourself. Mm-hmm. You're there to help these kids grow up and be mature adults and be contributors to society once they leave there and be successful. My, I always say my number one calling is to help kids win in life, not just on the field, but I want these kids 
to be winners when they step off that field and step into life. I want them to win. Yeah. And I know that's your that's a similar mission you have, so it's good. Yeah, even at a a, a large university, a, a well-known established university, you're there. It's you know, University of Miami, Division One sports, it's a big deal. And I think stepping into that arena as an athlete, um, you know, I, I, I know we joke, I was a walk-on at a D2. <laughs> well, at the when I first got there, they're NAIA, and then they switched to D2, and now they're D1, actually. But um, so it was a little bit different of an atmosphere, a small school. But being at, at University of Miami and and asking these athletes kind of where they're at mentally, too, like there's just such a pressure to perform. And um, the sometimes they only feel like they're value, valued or bring value to the table if they perform well. So I think it's it's good as a strength coach to step in and and know that it, and instill into them that your value doesn't just come from your performance. You bring a lot of value in a lot of different ways as well. Um, and I it, they need to know that. <laughs> that's good, real quick. So that's performance-oriented love, right? Mm-hmm. And what happens with that, and you see this, the kids wrap their identity in their sport, and now their value and worth is based off their performance. And I, there's mm-hmm. there's a lot that can go, and, and you talk to our mental health people, which I know, Joe, you're going to get into this in a second. The, one of the number one themes and topics that we're seeing arising in sport today is identity crisis. And you see it. Kids get done with their sport. They don't know what to do because all they've known is their sport. Well, I believe that we're greater than, you know, that's my belief and conviction. Our kids are worth more value and and, and uh, who they are as a person than, than what they do, what they bring to the table. Now, if they don't perform, they're in trouble for sure. That's, that's on them. What are you doing and why is that happening? But you're still valuable and I still respect and love you as a human, as a person, because you're a human being, not just a human doing. So I think that's a big piece of of how we kind of walk that out too is like just loving people whether you're a walk-on like you said or you're the, the star and stud all-american three-time whatever uh you bring value to this team so it's mm-hmm. good Absolutely. yeah yeah sometimes it's like you just need faith to kind of hit that reset button too sometimes you know it's mm-hmm. there's there's ups and downs to everything like you you can't go four years in college and tell me that you just rode a high the entire four years like there's this i wouldn't believe you um so I think having like a strong faith, you know, in something um, would, would definitely help pull you out of it. And that, that kind of brings me to my next question is, mm-hmm. you know, you've spoken in the past couple of years about mental health. Um, as a coach, what have you seen regarding athletes today and how have you helped them through, you know, maybe some mental health stuff? Yeah, I think a lot of that was exposed during COVID too when suddenly, you know, none of us predicted that. And people's careers were done. Their sport careers were mm-hmm. were done and there was no chance to come back or in some people's cases. And that's traumatic for some people, you know, and I don't say that lightly. And so when you do, Donnie, like you said, wrap kind of your identity in, in this um, idea of sport and that's who you, who you think you are, you know, um, there's so much more to you. <laughs> and I have to tell my athletes that as well, because it's easy to, to get into that mess um, of a thought. But um, but yeah, I think speaking to them during that time was key. And, you know, I've had athletes crying on the phone to me and, and all of that. And it's, it's, it breaks my heart. But at the same time, you know, we're there to, to support and to love. And again, be that extension of, of love and grace and listen, you know, um, maybe no one's listening, you know, and they just need someone to talk to. And um, 
for support staff, I think athletic training, sports medicine, ourselves as well, have such a key role in that too, because sometimes athletes aren't always super comfortable going to their head coach because with certain certain things, you know, um, and then obviously within our realm, there's only so much we can kind of touch on and talk about and then point them to their resources after that. So, Right. Yeah, it's funny. The first thing you mentioned is some of the athletes realized their, their careers were over and that mm-hmm. coach, I don't know if you remember this, this was like the night before we had our final meeting with the staff before we left for COVID and um, rowing was lifting and coach Mike Hansen was out there with them and they all found out that their season had just been canceled and all the, all the girls were looking at their phones and they just stopped lifting. Like they just stopped working out and Mike, Mike kind of came up to me. He's like, well, what, you know, what am I supposed to do? Make these kids get under a bar and they just realize their career's over. Like, like mm-hmm. their mental state right now has got to be just boom, you know? And, and, and that, that's when I realized I was like, wow, this thing is gonna really suck. <laughs> like this is gonna, this is gonna have some, some damage. Like if we're out for two weeks or three weeks, it seemed like it was going to be longer than that at the, at the moment when the NCAA was just kind of canceling everything. Um, but I mean, that was, that was, that was just, it was just crazy. Um, and kind of seeing that in person, that realization, and yeah, you're right. I mean, like that that effect. I mean, the the hard work that they, the, the you know, the athletes put in. I don't think a lot of people really understand how hard they really do work, and and how hard it is to win. Mm-hmm. And um, and sometimes if they're expected to win, the pressures that go with it, and for it to just be gone is it's devastating. Yeah, and I tell them too. I mean, when all of that was happening, and and obviously there's still, it's not just COVID. It's life after COVID, life is hard in general. Mm -hmm. And something that I've learned through uh, therapy that I like to implement too is to never suppress your feelings. So when that happens, it's traumatic, it's sad. Whatever you're feeling, let it run its course. The worst thing that you can do to yourself, my therapist used to tell me, is to suppress it and pretend like it's not there. You know, you don't have to be um, the hero of the day. You know, it's okay that you're sad. But don't don't shove it down. Um, let it run its course, and then seek the help that you need, because that's how we work on emotional health, mental health. All of that ties together. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I think it comes back to what you said at the beginning, Ariana, about connecting with your athletes. I think not only connecting, but really having enough rapport that they open up their heart to you at some point. Meaning, I remember we took my wife and I took a parenting course years ago before we started trying to have children and and they got into this debate on in this class, you know, quality versus quantity time. And the author ended up making the point of like, if you will just make quantity, like spend a lot of time with your kids, you won't need to do quality time. Meaning at some point in that quantity time, the more you spend time with your kids, the more likely they're going to be to open up the window of their soul and show you really what's going on. Because that's really what happens with mental health today. Mm-hmm. Kids are bleeding and hurting inside. They're beat up, but you don't know it because they're not they're not being transparent, right? Mm-hmm. And that's like, I think the, the my favorite metaphor for coaching or like parenting is like, it's like bowling. If you guys have ever been bowling, <laughs> the closer you are to the pins, the more impact you can have, the more you're going to knock down. The further away from the pins, the more errors you're going to You're going to stick that ball in the gutter, right? So I think the closer you get to those pins, to your kids, your athletes. Proximity. Right. Mm-hmm. Then the more you can have input, you'll know what's going on in their life, and you can kind of ward off and kind of uh, stop some of these things that are kind of ha- – you'll, you'll be aware of and get them help. 
because the resources are there. It's just getting a kid to know that they can find those resources and get them to trust those resources and take advantage of them so they can get healthy. So mm-hmm. yeah. anyway. That's good. Yeah. That quantity time is, is huge, especially like, I mean, David's only one, but you miss a lot of stuff if you don't have the quantity time. Like the quality time, it's like, I mean, how much can you really teach a one-year-old in like two days, right? Like they're they're going to learn stuff, but not you know not like how we yeah. could today um, at our age. But like the the quantity time is like you you'll miss stuff if you're not there with them all the time. So I've, I've thought about that. You told me about that a couple weeks ago, Coach, and I, I've yeah I've realized that just just watching him grow up like a, you know it's it's What's pretty how, cool. How you spell love, right? It's T I M E. That's it, right? Your kids, that's what they want. That's what our athletes want. Mm-hmm. Yep. They, you know, I just got through going through a book called uh, Belonging. Uh, I, th- I forget the guy's name, but I think it's Owen Eastwood. But anyway, it was just on team culture. And your athletes want time with you. They don't want, you know, mm-hmm. there's a technical and tactical. That helps them perform, but they want time with their coach. They want to spend time with They want to talk to you. They want to connect. And I think oftentimes that gets neglected because we've got so many things going on today Right there, we've got to manage that. With the last thing to to go is like sitting down and kind of trying to hear people out and the problems they're, they're dealing with. So, yeah, um, yeah, leaning into that and proximity's big. I would just randomly thought about this, but being, you know, authoritative versus influential. You know, the authoritative figure, the athlete or the team is just they show up, they do what you say, kind of like that robotic piece you talked about earlier. And but someone who's influential, they want to come. They want to show up for you because of how you've shown up for them. And I think there's such a difference in those those two things. And I, as coaches, we want to have influence, and we mm. want people. They show up. Some some I've seen some teams. Some of my athletes show up. You know, 15 minutes early, 30 minutes early. You don't need to be there that early. I tell them, you know, like five to seven minutes. Like, be ready to go. Have your stuff together. You're on the line, ready to go five minutes before. Um, you know, you guys can chat and whatever, but it's like you see them start showing up super, super early. It's like, man, they want it. They, they're like, they want to be there. They want to mm-hmm. be there. And I think right. when I start seeing that happen, and it's not always the case, and that stuff takes work. Um, that that's exciting. It's exciting. So awesome. Let's get into. Um, I've got a little. We've got a couple more topics here, and we'll we'll we'll, we'll land the plane. But one of my favorite uh, topics here: social media. Uh, Coach Ariana, one area I've seen you grow and expand your reach on is on these social media platforms. Um, how'd you get started in that? And then kind of have you learned any lessons of do this, don't do this kind of with social media? Love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I think social media, as we know, is kind of running rampant in today's society. And I was a little apprehensive at first because, you know, we talk about be careful what you post. You want to be professional, obviously, always, and uh, put your best foot forward. But I think um, you can also be vulnerable within the parameters um, to let people know that you're also human because people want to follow people who are real and authentic and genuine and people that put out good content, you know, something that they're learning, they're learning learning from your knowledge base as well. And as coaches, we have so much to offer people um, in that arena. And social media lately 
has catapulted me and helped me in a lot of different scenarios, especially in today's society um, with things getting super expensive and that there's just a lot of avenues that you can go to grow as a coach and then also um, benefit others. And so recently I started working with Les Spellman. Um, he, He came to Miami. We met through him being out here with his team and he saw something in me to bring me on his team and and help out their um, his company out there based out of California in a lot of different ways. And it's been awesome. Um, he's instilled confidence in me in this arena of like, oh, I don't know if I want to post this or that. He told me that you're never um, you're never really ready. You just gotta right. you just gotta go. You just gotta start. And so I was like, oh, I don't want to be that coach that's just posting, you know multiple times a week. And I don't know if that's for me, um, but he's like, Ariana, I'm telling you, it's going to open up a lot of doors. I need you to start posting three times a week. So we started doing that and kind of started seeing it grow. It's not, you know, I'm not like famous or anything or just out there, but you, you kind of see it. And I'm not after that anyway, but just you start to see it grow, but you also start to see people Um, the questions that people have and how you can answer them, you know, and provide that value and service to people that that are needing that. But um, And there's a lot of super, super amazing, knowledgeable coaches who have nothing to do with social media, and that's awesome too. Um, There are just some people who choose to post versus not, and I've seen a lot of opportunities come from just – just that and it's helped me in a lot of ways to grow too so um, it's not for everybody but that's okay yeah <laughs> yeah real quick joe i think um first of all I've, I've i've kudos to you i think you've done a great job with this i think this past year i could tell you made a change and just some of that you put a lot of educational stuff out that was so so good so keep that that's good keep that up <laughs> I think, you know, I, I always hear these, you hear the naysayers and people being negative. Well, social media, you're, you're self-promoting, you know, there's a lot of bad stuff on there. And there is, there's a lot of bad stuff on there. Um, there's a lot of negativity on there for sure. So I think it's kind of like anything you do in life, right? It's like eat the fish, but spit out the bones. And here you have today, this modern day we're living in, you have the power, the most powerful vehicle to brand yourself, market yourself, in a, like you said, in a professional way, not unprofessional, and kind of build a reputation of who you are and be consistent uh, today than we ever have. And to not utilize that to some, I'm not saying you got to hop all the way in, but I do think that that limits your influence and career to some degree um, today, because honestly, the new resume is Google. Type in your name, and what are the what's that first page? What shows up? If it's not a lot, I'm sorry, you got some work to do. You do, and um, so that's just kind of where it's at. Companies are going to Google you. They're going to look at social media, even though they say they're not supposed to. They're still <laughs> going to look at that. And I think everything from your profile picture needs to be clean and professional, not some goofy thing. I don't think you need to be posting stuff on there of like you're out partying. Do I think that's very unprofessional and, and not very. I think it's tacky. And I think some of these coaches that are just super critical and negative about other people online, they're cannibalistic. I don't think, like, if you wouldn't say that to them in person and to their face, why are you typing that on social media? So I think there's got to be some professionalism boundaries there and principles that we need to adhere to. But I think for the most part, kudos to you, coach. So keep it up. Yeah, And it's your motive. It's your heart motive behind what you're posting and why you're posting it. And the only person that's going to know that is you. 
And I think staying true to yourself and knowing your motive, I want to educate these people on on X topic or whatever it is. Or sometimes I just post my workout that day because it motivated someone to get off the couch and work out. I've had people message me that. Um, and, and being able to see that is awesome because now you're seeing the fruit that I didn't necessarily ask for. You know, they didn't have to message me, but I had a dad, uh, some a dad on, I don't know, it's this guy on Twitter. I don't know who he is. I can't remember his name. Um, a dad of a, I think he has like two or three kids. And he was like, I love the stuff that you're posting when you're vulnerable about how you've been burnt out from working out, like is relatable. Uh, people want that relatability piece. Like, cause for us, sometimes it looks like we have it all together. We're always working out. We're always eating right. We're always doing this, 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 running around being super efficient. And it's not always that way because you're human. And so I think opening up to that helps create that relatability with people to be like, she's not this perfect person who just works out five times a week and has a strict regimen with her nutrition and takes all of her creatine and, you know, all this. But um, people want to know that we don't have it all together and that's okay. And there's grace for that, but that's why we pick it back up and we can help be influential to other people to, um, adopt some of these habits and, and lifestyle habits that we have to, for them to be healthier as well and know that there's grace when we fall. <laughs> yeah. I feel like sometimes too, you know, if we could just make it a lot more positive, cause you're, you're right, coach, there's so much negativity out there. And I think it's, there's like a little competitive piece to it. There's a little bit of jealousy sometimes if someone makes a cool video or something and, you know, people are like, oh, you know, they try to poke holes in it. It's like, you know, some people just try to have fun with it too. And that, it creates a lot of positivity, it creates conversation. It, uh, it opens up doors and things like that. You know, one, mm -hmm. I can't remember his name. Uh, he's out in California, but he, he did a video one time. He's like, okay, I'm making like this super nutritious shake, but he's being sarcastic because he was cutting up Reese's peanut butter cups <laughs> and putting them into his ice cream. <laughs> And I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I think uh, the more we could use it for for just positivity and starting conversations and, and, and kind of opening up avenues. Like I was just listening, listening to a podcast this morning. These two guys, they found each other on Instagram and uh, they both own businesses, one in St. Louis and one in Minneapolis. And they're, you know, the whole time they're like, oh, yeah, like I love what you did on here and here. And it's like, man, if if it could just be like this more often, mm -hmm. it'd be pretty cool. And even if what they're saying is, I don't know, correct, incorrect, doesn't really matter. It's still a cool conversation to listen to. Two positive guys and they're making people better in the private sector, you know? So it's, you know. Yeah. But it's, at the end of the day, right, it's a platform. Yeah. And like to your point, Ariana, it's like, why are you doing this? Are you doing this to add value to people and help people? Or are you doing it just to kind of like draw attention to yourself? And uh, I'm not saying you can't put yourself on there some, but, you know, Seth Godin has a book called Tribes, and everybody is looking for their people. And the more we all have that innate design in us that we are looking for people we want to walk with, and that's just how we're built, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think social media gives you that lane to run in and connect with people all over the world that you would never, to your point, Joe, you, I've met more people through social media connected with old friends, it's done more to improve my life than it is to bring it down. So again, I think it's a vehicle. It does have some negative things to it. It can be dangerous. It can get you in trouble. But I think to your point, Ariana, if you carry yourself in a way that's professional, you have some high standards of how you present yourself. And I think you can be vulnerable in some of those instances. Um, I think that's perfectly fine because people are definitely, they like people that are real. 
I think it can bring a lot of positivity in the world and bring a lot of light. And I think the quote I love is, it's easier to curse the darkness than it is to light a candle. So I choose my choice and my perspective is similar to you, Coach. That's why I love that about you. I'm going to light a candle in this world because there's just too much going against us. So, Right. But, Coach, hey, we're out of time, so we're going to have to land the plane. Just some fun ones real quick here, and we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up. Um, what's your hobbies, Ariana? Give us something. <laughs> My hobbies. I know. Um, we said the, the website at Miami says you love, what, drinking coffee and going to the beach. Yeah. And Taco, what is it? Looking for taco place? Yeah, I love tacos. What do you tacos. really like doing, Coach? Give us- I eat so many tacos, it might turn into one. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I had tacos here in Austin Where'd yesterday. Where'd you go? I was going to say, there's uh, Taco some- Flats. What do we think? Yeah. I don't know. Have I've never ever- been to that yeah, one. I've never been to oh, that gosh. one. Oh, gosh. I mean, you I tell me. What was- <laughs> it was good. Yeah, it was amazing. Was it two thumbs up? Like Yeah, um, it was amazing. I really liked it. Comparatively to Miami, though, I don't know. But I'm I'm doing Terry Black's tonight, so. Oh, I heard. going to ruin yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. That I needed good. my brisket fixed. There, there um, are some serious breakfast tacos in this town. Yeah. yeah. Maybe tomorrow morning. Yeah, yeah. That'll be the move. Definitely. Um, hobbies. Man, I think um, there's so much to do in Miami. It's almost overwhelming sometimes. And I just find myself like staying in the house because I can't make a decision. But there's this awesome bridge that you can run over um, where they have like people bike, they run, they walk, whatever. Um, I don't really run, so we'll wor- we're working on that. So I walk over the bridge and go to the Key Biscayne. So it has all the palm trees oh, yeah, and yeah. the little beach there, and it's nice and shallow. It's not as crazy. Um, South Beach really isn't my scene, so I go more to the low-key areas. Um, I'll bring food. I'll set up my chair or something like that. It's super fun. Or just hanging out with friends um, it is good. Uh, good as well just you know adult things <laughs> i like the i like that some of your posts you do I, my, my daughter i have four daughters i always say dad that's called a lifestyle vlog i'm like whatever <laughs> what <is> but <laughs> i know just kind of what you do anyway it's just funny how people want to see all that stuff um it's kind of cool just that, again i think that mm. you're just a normal human and you actually have a life you know yeah but food's big food is key yeah, you're a foodie just, would you consider yourself a foodie or no no because i feel like foodies like video and like take pictures of all their food and I don't necessarily always do that like make vlogs you know about their food but I just love trying different spots because there's so much culture Miami's its own country so there's a lot lot of things that you can try Cuban food Jamaican Haitian it's just it's everywhere I was gonna say I heard heard the Cuban food there is unreal I've had it it is good yeah yeah Yeah. I never tried a plantain until I moved there. And then I had one. I was like, a squishy banana thing? Like, I don't know if I'm going to like that. And then I tried it, and I was like, I love plantains now. So we're expanding the palate. Yeah. Our AT over at baseball is from Miami and has a Cuban Mm -hmm. background. And one day he spent like 30 minutes talking my ear off about it. And he was so excited to go home. And I was like, good for you, man. Cafecito, different coffee. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, no coffee is better, in my opinion, anymore. I don't know what to do. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> been to Seattle? I've never been to Seattle. Ooh, coffee up there is pretty good too. Yeah, it's solid. Okay, I, I, I won't. I won't argue on that one. That's a good one. That's a good yeah. one. <laughs> um, but I haven't tried Miami, so I need to. Yeah, I gotta try it. Yeah, get down there. Um, last question: Best professional development you've done recently? Course, book, coach you've had a conversation with? What comes to mind? Anything come to mind on that? Yeah, I think just because, I mean, it's on the top of my head in the thick of it, a couple things. So came out with a course recently with C.C. Murray, with Les Spellman out there, and a lot of resources that we read 
that we utilized, the eight vector system by Jordan Newsma coming out of Elon. Oh wow! Uh, he's not at Elon anymore, but um, they, him and Nick DeMarco, created this this book, and it's amazing. So I'll just plug that, and then also the Edu. Um, Never with heard of PJF of Performance and Max Schmarzo. Um, they have an online. I'll plug that as well. The online, essentially, it's it's not a course, but they put a ton of different video content and that kind of I thing. Look into this. Just explosive power training the basketball athlete. Um, there's just single leg stuff. Like there's just so much resources and knowledge that they have. A lot of visuals, videos, and and we'll get that in the so. show notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, sure. show. Make sure we get that for our listeners. Yeah. So edge you, and then what was it? Uh, the, there was a book you said. The Eight Vector System eight by vectors. Jordan Newsma and Nick De- DeMarco. Yeah. We'll we'll look into that. That's mm-hmm. awesome. So yeah. Well, Coach, thank you for sharing uh, all that and for your time today. Thanks so much for having me. It's any, been fun. Yeah. Any closing thoughts, Coach Joe? No, this is great. We could we could have probably gone another hour. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> you're just trying to be sensitive to time. But uh, Ariana, it is a joy and a pleasure to have you in Austin just to see your face again. It's been a little while, but thank you for your time today for investing uh, into our podcast. I know the listeners, if they want to follow you or connect with you this year, where can I get you? Yes, um, Instagram is my first and last name, Ariana Luther, and then Twitter is Ariana underscore Luther. Awesome. So, if you have not connected with Coach Ariana Luther, please do so this year. You will not be disappointed. She's awesome. She's a rock star, up and coming coach, just kicking butt, taking names <laughs> in Miami. So, that's it from the team behind the team podcast. And hey, you guys, let's crush 2023. And that's it from Austin. Hook them horns. Hook them. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Team Behind the Team podcast. For future episodes, go to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. We definitely want to keep having great guests on the show and great content. So if you have a moment, please go to iTunes, leave a rating and review, and let us know how we're doing. I'm Donnie Mabe, and thanks so much for tuning in.